Happy Memorial Day weekend. How y'all doing? You doing good? Well, hey guys, I'm so excited that you're here as we're continuing in our series called The Bible and the Beatles. But I got to be honest with you, I'm a little nervous about my message today. I, I mean, I know I, 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 it's not going to be a great message. I mean, it's not going to be bad. I think it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right because we're talking about the Beatles song, Revolution, and we actually have an outline for your message today. It's in your program. Let me encourage you to take this out and use it to follow along. All the verses from the Bible that we're looking at are printed there for you. And I wanted to let you know, we're using this song, Revolution, because the Beatles, they wanted to make their mark on the world. They wanted to use their music to make, the, to make a mark on the world. And friends, think about it. Make a mark they did. In fact, according to Rolling Stone magazine, the Beatles are the undisputed greatest rock and roll band of all time. And do you understand? The Beatles didn't just sing songs. They wanted to use their music to change the world. In fact, right off the top of your outline, I want you to hear what they said about their very own music. The Beatles said this, our music is capable of causing emotional, uh, causing emotional instability, disorganized behavior, rebellion, and even revolution. Well, friends, can I tell you, in the same way the Beatles were part of a musical revolution that made its mark, do you know that God is calling you and me He's calling us as a church family to be a part of his revolution to make a mark, to change the world by changing lives with his love. And that's what I want us to talk about as we wrestle with this song, Revolution. Did you know this song was written and first played in 1968? Now, many of you weren't around in 1968. I was. I was there. And can I tell you, do you for those of us who are a little more mature do you remember the emotional climate in the late 60s? Man, there was a lot of political chaos, unrest, massive protests. And on March 17, 1968, thousands of people, they staged a protest on the American embassy in London. And that protest got violent. And the violence from that protest, it was like the spark that fired John Lennon up to write the song Revolution. His, this song was written in response to all the, the, the protests and the violence going on in England and America in those days. He actually declared later in an interview, he said, I wanted to put out what I felt about revolution. That's why I wrote this song. And the lyrics of the song, they're, they're powerful to me, but more than that, as I researched all the info behind the song, you know what surprised me? Is I discovered that John Lennon... And Jesus, they had a lot of things in common. They actually had a lot of things in common when it comes to this idea of revolution. And I put them there on your outline. Here's what I learned. You might write this down. John and Jesus' heart for revolution, first of all, they were both anti-establishment. They were both anti-establishment. What I mean by that is during the Vietnam War, John saw all the government abuses of power. The corruption, the hypocrisy, the lying, the senseless loss of life. And he saw the resulting anger and division in both England and America. And he declared with this song, just like everybody else, man, we want to change the world. We've got to fix these problems. We have got to do better. And so he used John Lennon as a songwriter and as a musician. He said, I have to use my unique voice 
to take a stand, and that's why he wrote this song. And it's kind of an anti-establishment song, but can I tell you, Jesus did the same thing with his unique voice. This is what Jesus said to the religious establishment of his day. Look at what it says in your outline, Matthew 23, verses 25 through 28. Jesus said, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees? The establishment. He called them hypocrites. He said, inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. Outwardly, you look like religious people. But inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, to kind of highlight what I'm getting at here, I'd like to share with you a quote from Pastor Anley Stanley who said this. The only group that he, Jesus, consistently condemned were graceless religious people. Those who misuse the truth to control through guilt, fear, and condemnation. Both John and Jesus in their day, they took a stand against these abuses and they were anti-establishment. But secondly, would you write this down? Here's another thing that they have in common. They had this, they both declared through their unique voice that violence and hatred are not the answer. Violence and hatred are not the answer. See, John Lennon's message was give peace a chance. And in his song Revolution, he's saying, hey, I'm I'm all in for change, but when you talk about destruction, don't you know that you can count me out? As John Lennon is writing these words, I have to wonder if he was influenced by the king of nonviolent resistance, Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, Right around this time, this very same year, Dr. King was assassinated in 1968. And I have to ask, was John Lennon influenced by Martin Luther King's message of nonviolent resistance? In fact, I want you to hear a little bit from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s message when he declared these words. He said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Now, I don't know if Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had an influence on John Lennon, but I do know where uh, Martin Luther King got his influence, where he got his inspiration. As a reverend, as a pastor, Dr. King got his inspiration from the teachings and the life of Jesus Christ. In fact, I want to show you one of the places where it came from when Jesus said these words in Matthew 5. He said, you have heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, But I say what? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Now, there's one other way that both John and Jesus shared something in common when it comes to revolution. And I got to tell you, it's kind of surprising to me. I knew this about Jesus, but I didn't know this about John Lennon. And they both had this conviction that in the end, God would make it all right that God would make it all right. When writing the song Revolution, John Lennon said these words in an interview. He said, I've been thinking about it up in the hills of India. And then he continued, I still had this God will save us feeling about it. It's going to be all right. I was really surprised that John Lennon said that. I didn't even know he believed in God. But I do know that what he said here echoes the very words of Jesus found on your outline In John 16, 33, Jesus said this, I have told you these things so that in me 
you may have peace. In the world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Would you underline that phrase, take heart, I have overcome the world. What Jesus is saying, he's saying, hey, by my perfect life, my sacrificial death, my powerful resurrection, I have won the revolution over sin and death. And yeah, in this life, you're going to have ups and downs, strife and struggles, but take heart, have confidence, because in the end, because of your faith in me, in the end, it's going to be all right. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I have your back. I wanted to start here because when it comes to revolution, John Lennon and Jesus Christ, they shared three things in common. They were both anti-establishment, both anti-violence and hatred, and they both had this profound confidence that God would make it all right. And and here's what I want to do now. I kind of want to take it a little step further because now I don't want to talk to you about John and the Beatles as much as I want to talk to you about God and the Bible. Because the truth is, though John, he wanted revolution, he wanted change, the truth is John Lennon didn't have the plan or the power to make it happen. But I want you to see on your outline that God had a plan. And he has a plan to this very day. Would you write this down? God's plan for revolution is a person. A person. Now, on the song Revolution, John wrote these words. You say you got a real solution. Well, you know, we'd all love to see the plan. See, when the song Revolution came out, there was this sentiment, this anti-government, anti-authority, don't trust the man mindset, that the, the government is corrupt and those in power, those leading the institutions, they're corrupt, money-loving, power-hungry abusers. And here is this mindset in the day. In the late 60s, man, we need to overthrow. We need to take our power to push out those in power so that we could have the power. There's only a a little problem with that. Have you ever heard the phrase that goes like this? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And friends, that's why it's important uh, that you study history. That's why you understand, you know, most of the revolutions in history... The revolutions that are achieved by violent takeover, usually those who overthrow those in power a short time later become exactly like those that they threw out. Did you know that? See, they think, hey, man, things are bad, and so we're going to use our power to throw them out so that we can fix it, and then they get in power, and then they repeat the problems over and over again. But see, the Bible says, hey, there's a different solution. There's a different plan. See, the Bible tells us the real problems in the world, even the problems you are seeing today, it's not about those who are in power. It's not our corrupt world leaders or the dirty politicians or the greedy government. Do you know the Bible gives us a picture of where the real problem comes comes from? And I've actually brought that picture with me. Would you like to see it? Do you want to see a picture of where the problem comes from? Okay, well, well, well look very closely. I brought it with me. It's right here. Take a look. <laughs> Do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see where the problem's coming from? I mean, look carefully. Look at, hey, I, I, I mean, look at it. Like, oh, 
hey, good looking. <laughs> See, I, I look carefully when I take a look in the mirror. Here's what I realize when it comes to the problems of the world. I'm a contributor. I'm part of the problem because, friends, can I tell you, the problems are not out there. The problems are not out there and all those big, bad people all doing all those big, bad things. The problem, it's really right here. It's a, it's a, it's a condition called our fallen sinful nature. In fact, Jesus made it very clear where the problems of the world are coming from. And I printed them right there on your outline. Look at the words of Jesus in Matthew 15. Jesus said, but the words you speak come from where? The heart. The heart. heart. That's what defiles you. That's where the problems are coming from. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. These are what defile you. This is what's driving the destruction and all the problems in the world. See, the problem is not out there. It's what's growing and going on right inside my heart. And here's where God's plan for revolution, his solution and revolution, here's where his plan comes in. I love this great quote from Pastor Andy Stanley who said this, either you were a mess, are a mess, or are one dumb decision away from becoming a mess. Can I get an amen? Amen. See, and then it goes on to say this, and when you were the messiest version of you, you needed somebody to take you just as you were, and that's what Jesus did for me. See, that's God's plan. That's God's solution. God's revolution is he sent a savior, a person with the power and the plan to change me from the inside out. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he left the glories of heaven and he came to seek and save the lost, a.k.a. you and me. He died on the cross in payment for our sin and selfishness. Then he rose from the dead and he gave this promise. I will give my power and presence to anyone who will put their faith and trust in me. And friends, you realize how Jesus accomplishes his revolution? Can I tell you? It's one heart, one home, one person at a time. In fact, I'd like to share with you this poem about revolution called, I Wanted to Change the World. This is what he writes. When I was a young man, I wanted to change the world. I found it difficult to change the world, so I tried to change my nation. And when I couldn't change the nation, I began to focus on my town. I couldn't change the town, so I tried to change my family. And now, as an old man, I realized that the only thing I could change is myself. And suddenly I realized that if long ago I changed myself, I could have had an impact on my family. And my family and I could have made an impact on our town. And their impact could have changed the nation and indeed changed the world. Friends, that poem reminds me of the great quote from the Hebrew Talmud. It was shared in the movie Schindler's List when he said these words, whoever saves one life, one life saves the world entire. Now, when John Lennon wrote the song Revolution, When he said, we'd all love to see the plan. 
Do you know God spelled out the plan loud and clear, and I actually put it on your outline. God's plan is found in John 3, 16 and 17. Now, most of you know John 3, 16, the most famous verse in all the Bible, but do you know what John 3, 17 says? Let's look at it together. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to what? Save the world through him. Through him. Friends, God's plan of revolution, having people one heart at a time put their faith in Jesus. The plan, friends, do you know it's so simple even a five-year-old can understand it. Maybe you remember the story of a little five-year-old girl. She gets sick. She has to go to the doctor, but she hates the doctor. The doctor scares her. The doctor hurts her. The doctor gives her shots. So she's sitting in the doctor's office, but she's clinging to her mommy. And the doctor comes in. He wants the little girl to relax. So he thought, you know, I'm going to help her. So he takes out his little light. He looks in her ear. He says, oh, sweetie, I think I see Barney in there. But the girl's not having it. She's just hanging on to mommy. So he says, okay, open up. And he looks down her throat and says, oh, sweetie, I think I see Big Bird down there. But she's still not moving. She's scared. Finally, he takes his stethoscope, puts it on her heart, says, oh, sweetie, guess what? I hear Elmo in there. And I don't know what happened, but it just kind of bust her loose. She said, no, no, doctor. Jesus is in my heart. Elmo's on my underwear. <laughs> right? See, even a five-year, and, and I know, hey, little silly story with a serious point. Friends, listen to me. Do you know whatever is living in here is going to come out here? Friends, do you know that? Let me say this again. Whatever you have living in your heart determines the outcome of your life. That's why Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 4, above all else, guard your heart. It affects everything you do. Because, friends, if you have hate living in your heart, hate's going to come out. You have anger in your heart, you're going to be an angry person. You have bitterness growing in your heart, you're going to be a bitter, resentful person. But friends, when you invite God's plan for revolution and you put your faith and trust in Jesus and allow him to come live in your heart, let me tell you this, love produces love. Forgiveness produces forgiveness. Grace in here turns you into a gracious person. So here's the question. You know, who's, who's living in your heart? What's driving your heart? Have you asked Christ to come live inside your life? Friends, it will revolutionize your life. Now, the, now, now here's the amazing thing. I want to be clear because I want you to understand the call of revolution from Jesus Christ. His call to revolution is not a violent takeover. It's not a call to overthrow existing governments for a new politic. Jesus' revolution, write this down, is a call to service and sacrifice, service and sacrifice, service and sacrifice. He said it loud and clear in Mark 10, 42 through 45. Jesus said, as you know, the kings and great men of the earth, they lord it over people like bosses and, and powerful people in authority. Man, they love to like power up and have everybody do what they say and follow their commands. But look what Jesus said. But among you, it is different. 
He said, whoever wants to be great among you must what? Be your servant. And whoever wants to be the greatest of all must be slave of all. For even I, the Messiah, am not here to be served, but to help others. I'm here to help others and to give my life a ransom for many. Friends, do you you understand? That's what I know, like, most of us, we probably don't say it out loud, but many of us, like we have hopes and we have dreams and we think about the impact of our lives. And, and, and to a person, I don't believe a single one of you want to come to the end of your life and say, I did nothing. Like I just used up resources and took up space, but I didn't make a mark. See, you have something inside of you that wants to make a mark for greatness and make the world a different place. The truth is you want to be great, right? We want to be great, but, but somehow we've fallen for the wrong definition of greatness. The world tells you greatness is fame, fortune, and celebrity. We think greatness is the ability to shoot a basketball or hit a baseball or have your face on the big screen or your name up in lights. But God says, if you want to be great, like eternally great, and really have an impact, that only comes through service and sacrifice. It only comes from serving God by serving others. I love how Martin Luther King said it this way, everybody can be great because what? Everybody can serve. Friends, you can be, in fact... Jesus' invitation to his revolution is really an invitation to greatness, an invitation to greatness by changing the world through servanthood. In fact, I I brought some pictures to help us see some symbols of his revolution. I brought them with me. And so on your outline, while I'm kind of setting the stage, would you write this down? The first symbols, uh, uh, symbols of service is a towel, a towel, set this up towel and a basin a towel and a basin okay i want you to see this now now this is is really cool because friends if you will allow these symbols right here the towel and the basin if you'll allow them to take root here and if you'll live them out here man it will revolutionize your life and you'll be great you'll be great in the eyes of God. Now, let me tell you where these symbols first showed up. They actually show up in the story of Jesus during the Last Supper in John 13. It's it's this big passage on the back of your outline. I I want us to walk through together. So let's look at this. It starts in John 13, 3. It says this, And Jesus knew the Father had given him authority over everything. Like Jesus knew he was God's Son, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that he had all authority. And it says he, had, he knew that he had come from God, he would return to God. See, Jesus knew who he was, he knew where he was going, and because of that, he was free. Friends, the only time you're really free is when you know who you are and when you know where you're going. And when you have that, when you know who you are, like, I know who I am, I'm God's child. I belong to him. He made me to love me, made me in his image. And I'm a child of God. I know who I am. I know where I'm going. One day when I die, I'm going to heaven. And I've settled that once and for all. When you have that, you're free. You don't live in insecurity. You don't live with worries like, what do other people think of me? Or how will other people look at me? 
See, it sets you free to do what Jesus did next. It says, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he poured water into a basin. He poured water into a basin, and then what did he do? He began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. Now, friends, understand 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, man, they didn't have paved sidewalks. They didn't have concrete streets where you can park your camel. Friends, those streets were dirty, dusty, muddy, filled with, you know, animal stuff. And, man, people walked around in dirty, old, stinky sandals. And then when people went in to eat dinner, they didn't have tables and chairs like we do. Man, they reclined at the table. Think about it. Nobody wants smelly feet near their supper, right? So it was just customary. When you came to someone's house for dinner, they would have a servant who would have a towel and a basin. And when you would arrive, they'd pour the water over your feet, and then they'd wash your feet. They'd get them all clean. They'd dry them off, and then you'd go in and have your supper. See, it wasn't embarrassing like having your feet washed because that's just a part of everyday life. The embarrassing part is who was doing the foot washing. Do you understand 2,000 years ago, that job, washing feet, was reserved for the lowest of the low. The person with the lowest ranking position in a household as a servant, they got that job. And so here's the picture. Do you see it? The king of kings, the lord of lords, the one with ultimate authority, he gets down on his hands and knees and he washes the feet. And can I, I promise you, I promise you the disciples were embarrassed. It'd be like if the queen of England came to visit you and then she got down and started scrubbing your toilet. No, no, oh my gosh, well, no, you shouldn't be doing that. I mean, oh my God. You, and, and here's the embarrassing part. Do you know that before Jesus started, had this last supper, do you know the disciples were arguing? Do you know what they were arguing over? Who was going to be the greatest in God's revolution? Hey, one day Jesus is going to be king. He's going to sit up. I want to sit on his right. I want to be on his side. I want to have the power. I want to have the position. They're arguing over this, and Jesus does this. And then we get to the punchline, and I want you to see it. Here's what Jesus said. After washing their feet, he asked, do you understand what I was doing? Since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to what? Wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Now that you know these things, God will bless you. God will bless you for doing them. Friends, this I know. You will only be truly great in this life from God's perspective when you take up the towel and the basin and learn to serve God by serving others. In fact, let me, let me tell you a real-life story of someone who did that. The story of a young man named Mike Sittak. He was a high school student, and his brother Ralph, his older brother, went off to college. And while at college, Ralph started going to a Bible study and in that Bible study, he, he learned about Jesus. He became a Christian. And then he comes home for the summer, and he tells his family, hey, mom and dad, brothers, sisters, hey, I want you to know that I've given my heart to Jesus, and I'm following him. Well, they wanted nothing to do with it. 
And little Mike, this high school student, Mike, he, he just like was so skeptical, but he said he watched his brother Ralph change. He said over the summer, Ralph would joyfully like help with the dishes, mow the lawn without being asked. And then Mike says that one day he came home from basketball practice, and he said, there was my brother Ralph. He was down on his hands and knees, and he was shining my shoes. And I stood there, and then in, in Mike Sittak's testimony, this is what he said. I got saved because my brother shined my shoes. Not because of a sermon, but because of a simple act of service. Do you know how powerful in a world filled with selfishness and selfies, when someone actually takes up the towel in the basin, do you, you understand what an impact that has? What a great difference that could make. So I were encouraging all of you to, to consider this, this next slide, please. We're considering inspiring hope by being a part of going up to Santa Rosa and grabbing some, a hammer and some nails and helping us build some sheds for, for those who are trying to rebuild their homes and get, get back in their houses. Friends, I'll tell you what, that will have a much greater impact than me trying to preach at them, Right? The incredible difference, the symbols of service. And here's the deal. Here's what, I'm, what I know. I love this quote from Dr. Albert Schweitzer. says, I don't know what your destiny will be, but I do know one thing. The ones among you who will be truly happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. So here's my question. Are you serving? Are you serving? Is there any areas of your life that you can point to and say, yeah, I'm doing this out of my love and service for God? Do you have an area of your life where you're, as your pastor, here's my prayer for you. I pray that you put your faith in Christ, that you allow him to come into your heart and be your Lord, and then you jump in on his revolution, and you go to Jesus school and get your spiritual MBA. What do I mean by that? Do you know uh, Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's? When he was asked, what's the secret of your success? He says, I attribute all of my success to getting my MBA. And he said, but MBA is, is not a master's of business administration. MBA is a mop and bucket attitude. Right? He said, here's the secret. You want to be successful? You want to be great? You grab a mop and a bucket. And you start serving. And you start helping people in need. And friends, it will change the world. Well, let me give you one more symbol of revolution and we'll wrap this up. And, it, and it's so fitting. I share this symbol with you on Memorial Day weekend. See, Memorial Day is when we take some time to remember the soldiers who paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we could be free. And I want to tell you the story about two soldiers. There's this young man, he's riding on a train and the way the train was set up, you're sitting in a car, but you're not all facing the same direction. There's actually a booth where you kind of face each other. And he's sitting on the train, and right across from him are two elderly men. And they're, you know, early 70s, somewhere around there. And he's looking at them, and he, he could tell they're really good friends. I mean, the way they talked and kidded with each other. He thought, man, these guys must, man, they really know each other. Well, then as we're riding the train, all of a sudden, one of the old guys, man, he starts shaking a little bit. And he's shaking, and pretty soon, like, 
foaming and at the mouth a little bit, and he falls down, and he's having an all-out seizure. But the other guy, it's like he instantly knew what to do, and he, he, the guy's on the floor shaking. He grabs his friend, and he kind of cups his head in his arm, and he's holding him, and he's like embracing him really tight, and he keeps just in a calm voice. Hey, you're going to be all right. It's okay. I'm here. I'm here. You're going to get through this. I got you. I got you. We're going to make it. Come on. You're, and he just kind of like for about seven minutes, this intense shaking, till finally the man having a seizure, the seizure ended. And then the guy picked him up and put him back in his, in his seat, and he sat down. Well, the seizure was so intense that the man who had the seizure, like in about five minutes, he fell asleep. And so the young guy who watched this whole thing unfold, he said, oh my gosh, what just happened? He said, oh, if you only knew. He said, my friend here, you know, we served in World War II together. He said, one day we were in a foxhole when out of nowhere a German grenade comes into our foxhole. And when that grenade went off, immediately it blew off my leg. And he pulls up his pants and he has a wooden leg. The guy's going, oh my gosh, what's that? And he said, not only that, I look over at my friend his chest is wide open with shrapnel everywhere. He's bleeding. And I start yelling, hey, get out of here. Leave me. Save yourself. But my friend would have none of it. He said, my friend here, you, you don't understand. He picked me up. He threw me on his back. He said, with blood streaming down his face, he carried me for a mile and a half until he passed out from loss of blood. He said, well, somehow from that injury, the shrapnel everywhere, shortly after that, he started having these seizures. He says, because he's my best friend whenever he travels, because I know what to do and how to take care of him whenever he travels, I always go with him to have his back when he has these seizures. And the guy's saying, oh, my gosh, what a story. He said, man, your friend's really lucky to have you. He said, oh, no, mister, I'm the lucky one. He said, after everything he's done for me, he saved my life. I would do anything for him. I love him. I love him. Well, friends, I wanted you to hear that story as we talk about the symbols of sacrifice because it leads into what Jesus... I, the symbols are really our way of saying, man, you know what? <laughs> Jesus is not lucky to have me. The church is not... We should never live with that. Well, they're lucky to have me down at that church. You know, I give money. I do this. I should be... You know what? I'm the blessed one. After all that Jesus has done for me, he saved my life. I'd do anything for him. I love him. That's the symbols I want to share with you because the symbols of sacrifice are the bread and the juice. The bread and the juice. Let's talk about them. Right after Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he said these words in Matthew 26. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread he gave thanks, and then he broke it. And he said this to his disciples, take and eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup, and he gave thanks, and he offered it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant poured out for many 
for the forgiveness of sins. Friends, how do we respond to a message like this? What do we do? You know, almost all of us to, to a person, we want the world to change. We want the world to get better. But if you give your life to trying to build your kingdom, if you have an attitude that says, man, I got to look out for number one. I got to get stuff for me and my family. I got to watch out for my own. If you create that kind of revolution, nothing will change. If you'll give your heart to Christ, take up a towel and a basin, remember the symbols of sacrifice. And if you'll give yourself to serve God by serving humanity, man, it will revolutionize your life and it will change the world. Friends, I want to tell you as your pastor, life is too short to go to a sucky church, right? We're building a great church here. I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking about me giving great men. I'm talking about a great church because it's filled with people who knows what greatness is. You're saying, God, I'll serve. I'll serve your kids. I'll work with, with those discouraged high school students. I'll get on a welcome team. I'll play in the band. I'll use my tech skills to help people hear the God. I'll do my part, God, so that people can to see your plan of revolution one heart at a time. I can't answer this question for you, but I end my message with this verse. I've made my decision. How about you? Joshua 24 says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, this song, Revolution, I pray from this day forward, we'll hear it with different ears. And that every time we think of this song, we'll think of your revolution to save the world one heart at a time. And that more than just hearing a song, that we'll be a part of your revolution. That we'll practically take up the towel and the basin and serve you by serving others and building your church so that people can be saved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.